You're listening to St. Joseph, a four-part series on the foster father of Jesus Christ. This podcast is produced by the Augustine Institute, an apostolate helping Catholics understand, live, and share their faith. I am Taylor Kemp, the Form Platform Manager, and this is Dr. Ben Akers, the Executive Director of Formed. We are in part three of four of St. Joseph. In the first episode, we looked at uh, the Old Testament Joseph and the New Testament Joseph. In the second episode, we looked at him under the title of Guardian of the Redeemer. Today, we are looking at him as patron of the Universal Church. And then the last episode will be St. Joseph as patron of the domestic church. Um, but I wanted to start actually just with a little bit of a, um, an experience I had this week with some friends. Uh, we were running a Bible study uh, out of our house with some friends, and I had some people come up, and they were like, this is so great. I love learning all about this, um, but they work full-time jobs, and they were just like, oh, I could never learn all of this. Uh, I, they wanted to go to the, the graduate school because they knew that that's where I went, and and we were having all these great conversations. They're like, I would love to learn all this, but I don't have the time. I don't have uh, the money to go to a, a graduate school for theology. And I was like, oh, well, that's perfect because we have this thing called short courses. And I was telling them all about short courses and that it's it's really supposed to be this bridge between people who really want to dive into their faith, but yet they're just not able to go to the graduate school. Um, and so I was telling them about it. They were all excited, but I thought it, this would just be a good chance for you to, to say a couple words about short courses. Sure. Yeah. Short courses are a new initiative of the Augustine Institute. And we take the professors from the graduate school, so you get the high quality instruction. And we've you know, uh, taking the classes that sometimes the classes and subjects that we talk about for 40 hours in a semester and, you know, picked the highlight reel, if you will, of uh, going through particular subjects. So we have a, it's a nine course, uh, core class, nine courses that are the core part of this. You get a theology, a certificate of theology um, and the completion of those, but it's three to six, uh, half hour, sorry, three to three hours. So six half hour sessions of a particular topic that the mm -hmm. teacher will be sit in the classroom presenting on a topic. And then there are quizzes, there's re recommended reading. Uh, and many people have taken over yeah, right now. And uh, I just taught a class this week mm -hmm. uh, on the Lord's Prayer was one I've, I've done, but that's gonna be an add-on class. So it's outside of those nine, but the nine classes are similar to our graduate school uh, core curriculum because it gives you a good grounding, a good foundation in the faith. So Old Testament, introduction mm -hmm. to the Gospels, uh, introduction to the Psalms is, is a class that's up there with, with Dr. Gray, the letters of St. Paul. So mm -hmm. these are the different themes, uh, prayer and Catholic spirituality, mm -hmm. the new evangelizations. So I encourage you to go to short courses uh, on the Augusta Institute website and you can discover more. Yeah, they're just great. I'm. It, it's such a good offering because as my friends were kind of pointing out, so many people want to learn more, but they're just yeah. not able to go all the way to a master's level. So this is just a perfect bridge. They're excellent. And you and you just pay, it's just $23 a month mm -hmm. and every month, and you have access to the whole, the full suite of all the classes. And every month we add a new class. Yeah. So just- They're great. Join us. Um, so I thought where we could start today, uh, looking at Joseph, St. Joseph is under patron of the Universal Church is a very well-known uh, quote by St. Teresa of Avila, a great saint. Um, when was she, 16th century? 16th century reformer <clears throat> of the Carmelites. So she she was a, a huge devotee to St. Joseph, and she has this just amazing quote. It really inspired me. I, I have a devotion to St. Joseph that really started for me last year. I feel like God gave me St. Joseph as a father last year, and I was, I was very inspired by this quote. Uh, and she says of him, I cannot call to mind that I have ever asked him at any time for anything which he has not granted. And I am filled with amazement when I consider the great favors which God hath given me through this blessed saint. 
the dangers from which he hath delivered me, body, both of body and of soul. To other saints, our Lord seems to have given a grace to help men in some special necessity. But to this glorious saint, I know by experience to help us in all. And our Lord would have us understand that as he was himself subject to him upon earth, for St. Joseph having the title of father and being his guardian could command him, so now in heaven he performs all his petitions. Hmm. This is just an unbelievable quote. So she's just saying that in the Lord's providence and grace, he allows through the saints his grace to flow. And many of them, can you can go to them for special causes, which we, we all do. It's a very Catholic practice. It's just a beautiful practice. But she says to St. Joseph, you can go to him for anything, which really fits with he is the patron of uh, the universal church. So... Um, so he's also so he's the patron of the universal church because he's also the patron of giving everything universally to to anyone who asks. Yes, he gives everything <laughs> to everyone. It's perfect. So I wanted to start with um, how how did he end up with this title, patron of the universal church? It's a relatively in the history of the two thousand years tr history of the church. It's a relatively new title. It was given by Blessed Pius the Ninth in eighteen seventy on December eighth, eighteen seventy. He declared Joseph the patron of the universal church, and he says that. Uh, that he received over 500 letters from mm. bishops, from priests, uh, from lady, from around the world leading up to it saying, you know, declare Joseph the patron of the universal church. And so he was the Pope, Blessed Pius IX was the one who declared Mary the Immaculate Conception. Mm -hmm. He's also the Pope that gives us Joseph as the patron of the universal church. And he actually says in his declaration, he tells a story about one of the Dominican priests uh, who was blessed. He's now known as Blessed Jean Joseph Lataste, and he offered his life. So he wrote the letter, the, wrote a letter to the Pope that so moved the Pope to actually make him declare this a universal feast. He says this: "This is Blessed Pius IX, the good religious is offering the sacrifice of his life to obtain that Saint Joseph be declared patron of the universal Church." Father Lataste is the only one, I received many letters, so he's the only one who offered his life. And Father Lataste actually did die mm. at 36 years old with much suffering and, and pain, and uh, but died 36 years old the year before Blessed Pius IX declared. It, and I love the, the note of the letters in uh, Blessed Jean Joseph Lataste that it, it wasn't just the Pope's idea that the, the church was kind of crying out, which is yeah. how it all, always goes with yeah. both the Immaculate Conception being yes. uh, called, but that these these movements of the church, when they were revealed, it's like the whole church is joining in with this. And I just love that that St. Joseph was And, and this is one of the reasons we're celebrating the year of Joseph this year is it's the 150th anniversary yes. of the declaration of, yes. uh, Fran as Pope, by Pope, Pope Francis is celebrating this declaration. Yes. Um, so... We also know that St. Joseph was added into the canon. Mm -hmm. Do you want to say something about that? Sure. So in 1962, uh, now St. John the Twenty-Third, who was leading the Second Vatican Council. And at the Second Vatican Council, he the, the bishops would give, bishops gathered around the world, gave different homilies and sermons and, and lectures. And there was one particular uh, bishop from Yugoslavia who was persecuted by the communists. And because of his persecution, it affected him in, his, in a nervousness. He repeated himself uh, often. And he was actually being made fun of by the other bishops. Mm -hmm. They're like, oh, you're holy and pious sermon. You keep going, you, you know, repetition over and over again. But in John the 23rd was there watching uh, via closed circuit television and knew this bishop and respected this bishop and was moved to tears by this mm. bishop's words uh, about St. Joseph. And so he actually decided just a couple months later, he's like, I'm going to insert Joseph into the first Eucharistic canon. It was just the one at the time, the Roman canon. It was actually interesting that I discovered also that John the 23rd actually considered taking 
Joseph as his papal name. Wow. He would have been Pope Joseph. The reason he chose <laughs> John was because his father's name was John. So he wanted mm-hmm. to honor his father and the gift to the life and faith that his father had given him. It's a tremendous amount of humility for John the 23rd too, that like all, all the other, his brother bishops are all just not responding well. And he takes deeply, you know, he's paying attention to the content of the message rather than maybe the message itself or and how it was presented. Been delivered. Yeah, yeah. And he just, he, he drank deeply from that and then, and then called him, which I well, like. And we actually say that we hear the name Joseph in the Eucharistic Canon. So that was, he added it to Roman Canon, the Canon one Eucharistic prayer. Uh, he, the other Joseph, the other canons, uh, Eucharistic prayers received Joseph added to them by Pope Francis. So he did that in the first year of his pontificate. And he did that because he was, uh, it was actually started by Pope Benedict XVI. And it was in the works and Pope Benedict XVI went after he abdicated, told Francis, mm. this is what I was working on. This is what I'd like. And mm-hmm. Pope Francis honored that and also has a great devotion to, Fran- great. to Joseph. It. Yeah, it's so great that it's in the mass. Um, so patron of the universal church. Um, can you walk us through what does what does patron mean? Yeah, so patron is actually the the root of the word is the same as pater in Latin, which means father. Mm. So when you hear patron, you can also think of father, father of the universal church. So just as Joseph was the the head, the father of the holy family, mm-hmm. so and the 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 fam, the church is the family of God. Mm-hmm. So also this it's fitting that Joseph would be the heavenly father and patron of the universal church. Yeah, and it make I've always found um that when you're kind of explaining the church or you're teaching about the church especially to people who aren't familiar with it that a lot of the times people associate the church with the buildings, yes. right? The cathedrals or it's the parish walls or something like that. And it's like, well, in the New Testament, the church is primarily called the body, mm-hmm. but the second or even just as intimately is the family. Um, the family of God, the people of God, the household of God, um, the body of Christ, that these are all um, very, very similar. And it seems to me that you can't really understand, I would say you can't understand certainly Joseph and Mary, but Mary too. You can't understand Joseph and Mary, except understanding that the church is the family of God and that God came into the world um, into a family. So St. John Paul II notes this, and he kind of starts his, his encyclical on Joseph uh, with this. So maybe, yeah. maybe that's the next place to go. Right. And here's, yeah, here's the quotation that you're referring to. It's the very first paragraph of Redemptoris Custos, the guardian of the Redeemer by Pope St. John Paul II. Just as St. Joseph took loving care of Mary and gladly dedicated himself to Jesus Christ's upbringing, he likewise watches over and protects Christ's mystical body. That is the church of which the Virgin Mary is the exemplar and model. So just as Joseph is in charge of Mary and Jesus. Well, the church involved, you know, is founded by Christ, is the mystical body of Christ, and Mary is the model and first disciple of Christ. So we should expect that Joseph would be there as well. Yeah, and because what we say about the church is that it's the extension of the incarnation, or that, and and as saying that it's the body of Christ. um, Well, then it's almost like if you think about it in the very literal sense, it makes the most sense where. Well, Joseph watched over Jesus's actual infant upbringing, but like he protected him, he did all these things. And so why would that change? Uh, I, the one, a quote that I'm thinking of is from Pope Benedict XVI's uh, Deus Caritas S. And he says towards the end of that encyclical um, that the saints in heaven or that, well, the, the saints on earth, that the, the help and the way that they're operating and trying to pray for people and, and bringing the grace of being channels of grace into people's lives, that that role doesn't stop when mm. they die. Mm-hmm. It doesn't stop when they go and become saints in heaven, that it actually increases. And so when we look at Joseph and we say, well, yeah, he protected Mary, he protected Joseph. And that now that he is a saint in heaven, 
Well, he's actually doing far more now. And it's not just for the body of Christ as he was as an infant, but the mystical body as extended, meaning us, the church. And he's looking over us just as a, as a father he did with Christ. Now as a father, he does with his spiritual disciples. Well, and Teresa of Avila says that where just as Jesus obeyed Joseph in life when he's growing up, so jo Jesus will remain obedient to him even more in yeah. heavenly life. So that's why you go to him. So whatever, you know, if Joseph, if you go to Joseph and you ask him for something, he's going to go to his son who's going to listen yeah, to and him. It makes me think back to our first episode of St. Joseph Old and New, where Joseph of the Old Testament is put over all of the household of Pharaoh. Yes. And that we, we say typologically that the New Testament Joseph, that God the Father in a very real way puts him over all of the household. It's not his house, it's God's house, but Joseph is going to be over it. Um, and I'm also thinking of the the parable in Matthew 24, um, where he puts the good and faithful steward over all of his house. Mm -hmm. Well, Joseph is the good and faithful steward, or else God the Father wouldn't have chosen him to watch his most, as John Paul II says, his most precious treasures, Jesus and Mary. So we can see in Joseph, the good and faithful steward, he is over his house, which is the church, and that he is now helping. He, he's helping that be lived out. And since you mentioned the Old Testament Joseph, think of what the Old Testament Joseph was known for besides prospering in the house, being in charge of the kingdom, being a good steward of the kingdom and helping that prosper in, in Egypt, but providing grain, yes, providing wheat. And so, you know, the Pharaoh says, go to Joseph because he's the one who's planned for this. He's the one who's going to give you bread. So if everything in the New Testament far surpasses that of the Old mm -hmm. Testament, what does Joseph give us in the New Testament period? He gives us the wheat of God, the bread of God mm -hmm. um, in the Eucharist. So it, he 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 gave us Jesus, protected Jesus so that Jesus could give himself. Yeah, so one of the main ways he's looking over the church universal is he's making sure we're being fed by yes. the bread of life. He is still, as a good father, providing for his family. And I think that Joseph, uh, just to bring out a connection for if we have uh, you know, the priest and the lady that are watching this, is Joseph has a special relationship, I think, with the priest, as we're talking about the church and universal patron, is that the priest and bishops in this earthly kingdom in the earthly church they have uh, power in a sense over the word of, uh, over the body of christ through their their authority their ordained authority they say this is my body this mm -hmm. is you know th this is my blood and the bread turns into the body the wine uh, turns into the blood of christ and so priests in a particular way should have a special devotion to yes. joseph because just as joseph had power over the body of christ so priests have the power of the body of Christ uh, made present for us in the Eucharist. Yeah, it's great. Um, and then so he, in his role over the universal church, he is providing for us in a very real way. And I love that you brought out his, uh, how priests should really go to him. Uh, and then he also protects. Mm -hmm. He is the protector, you know, the guardian of the redeemer. We talked about that, but he is the protector of the universal church. Well, and he did this, it would, the, just as the Joseph of the Old Testament, uh, you know, was, you know, protected the kingdom. And the Joseph of the New Testament protected the Christ child, protected Mary on the journey to Egypt, on the journey back mm -hmm. from Egypt, he provided. And so these are all things that we can, that Joseph is still doing for us today as a church is he's protecting us from, the, you know, the world is under attack. Herod was trying to destroy the Christ child, the world, the devil are trying to destroy Christ. They're trying to destroy Christ's kingdom and those who follow Christ. And so Joseph is a special intercessor that we can we can look to for this. And one of the titles that we pray in the litany of St. Joseph is Terror of Demons. And I think that's related title. to that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, yes. And you, you think about what the church is always telling us, which is we're a pilgrim people. We're on a journey. And so it's so natural to think of their journey to Egypt. They were 
going on pilgrimage. And as Joseph yeah, protected them during that pilgrimage, in our pilgrimage of faith, we too are being protected by Joseph. Um, and yeah, so just a little bit more on, I, I love that title, Terror of Demons. It's just such a great title. And you and I were talking a little bit before this, just of one of the ways that this has been pulled out by people is that the devil is always trying to get to us and keep us from Christ. He's always trying to bring us to spiritual death, just as he was, Herod was an agent of the devil in trying to pursue and kill the, kill the Christ child. And Joseph is perfectly responsive to the promptings of God. And that allows him to be, he, he evades the evil one amidst difficulty. That is really the goal of all of our lives is to be open to God, to receive his promptings, to be moved so as to evade the evil one and not fall mm -hmm. into a spiritual death. And that um, Joseph is held up as he will help you do this. Pray to him for that. That, that is a great thing. All of us want to grow in our discernment of spirits. Well, he did that. He, perfect, very, very well. <laughs> he, per, he perfectly discerned the spirits mm -hmm. and uh, the way that Pope Francis describes it, he was uh, creative, uh, courageous. Creative courage, yeah. yeah. Uh, and uh, the other thing I was thinking about as terror demons is that the demons are known for their pride and their disobedience. And what is Joseph known for? He's known for his humility and his obedience. Yes. So I think another reason why he's yes. power over demons. Yes. Um, so the last two things uh, that I wanted to talk about is... Uh, so Joseph, he gives himself at his annunciation, uh, so to speak, to being the spouse of the Blessed Virgin Mary and the father of Jesus. And he says yes to that. Um, fast forwarding a little bit to when he's in the temple, or they lose Jesus. He's in the temple. He's 12 years old. They're going back uh, to Nazareth. They can't find him. They go back. And Mary says, why have you done this to us? Your father and I have been looking for you. And Jesus's response is, you know, why are you so anxious? Don't you know that I would be in my father's house? Uh, and that in the seven sorrows of Joseph, this is pointed out as a real pain. Mm -hmm. Imagine you're a father, you've, you know, as Joseph was Jesus' father, you've raised him, you've been with him. And while Joseph knows that this is, he didn't conceive him, this was a gift of the Holy Spirit, um, he's raised him for 12 years. And then it was almost like this would be kind of a sharp or kind of piercing reminder that like, that he's not yours. Right. Right. Like he, he has, he's a steward. He is a custodian over him, but the, the Christ child is not Joseph's. And this would be a reminder. Uh, what has been pulled out that I find just so fascinating in this um, account is that at this moment, Joseph has to give himself over to the mission of Christ, which is going to be the mission of the father, which his name communicates uh, he or at Joseph's Annunciation, he will save his people. He will save the people from their sins. That Jesus's mission is salvation. That that mission is going to be extended through the church after his passion, death, and resurrection. And so when Joseph receives that, oh yeah, this is the, the he has a different father. He is a yeah. heavenly father. I am I am his earthly father, and he has to continue to watch over him, which he does. He is saying yes to the salvific mission of his son. Uh, and he puts himself at service of that mission. So if that mission then is salvation through the church, well, then it makes perfect sense that Joseph continues to live out as a servant to that mission. He is pouring himself, he is pouring his fatherhood out to support his son's mission, which is the church. So he's still looking over us and he's still trying to bring about that, the salvation that Christ brought through the cross, death and resurrection. Oh, that's beautiful. That's the end. This, uh, that just reminds me of that Joseph was entrusted with the Christ and Mary. The beginning of these, uh, of our redemption was entrusted to the faithful care of St. Joseph. And he submits himself to the mission of the son. 
and that church continues that mission. And this is why St. John Paul II will refer to uh, St. Joseph as not only defense against danger is what we were talking about, but as an impetus for the renewed commitment to evangelization of the world and to the new evangelization, to the re-evangelization of places that were Christian but aren't anymore. Mm -hmm. So Joseph, as his goal is to bring Jesus to the world. Yes. So let us all pray to him today um, and every day and throughout this year of St. Joseph. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. This is our part. This is part three of our four-part part series on St. Joseph. Today we went over St. Joseph as the patron of the Universal Church, and next week we will cover St. Joseph as patron of the domestic church. Thank you so much for joining us. God bless you. You can watch this series in video format by visiting formed.org. Formed is an online Catholic streaming service created by the Augustan Institute and Ignatius Press with award-winning studies and parish programs, inspiring audio content, movies, e-books, and family-friendly kids programming. To support the mission of the Augustan Institute, please visit missioncircle.org.